Open our eyes, dear Lord, that we may see the wonders of your word. Amen. Today we are in 1st Chronicles chapter 23. Here, after a brief notice of Solomon's coronation in the old age of David, the chronicler Ezra passes to the main subject of 1st Chronicles chapter 23 to 26, that is, the organization of the priests and Levites by David. This chapter 23 presents us two things. a summary account of the number and duties of the levites from verses 2 to 5 and the clans of the levites with the supplement of remarks about the duties that were to be carried on from this time onwards from verses 6 to 32 in verse 1 the chronicler writes he made his son solomon king over israel The chronicler Ezra curtails the entire chapter of 1 Kings chapter 1 into just this one sentence he made his son Solomon king over Israel. 1 Kings chapter 1 31 to 40 tells us how David made sure that Solomon and not Adonijah took the throne after his death. But then the chronicler seems to be interested only in the way David delegated the work to the priests and the Levites. In verses 3 to 6 we see the Levites being numbered and grouped they were numbered from the age of 30 years and above as was told to Moses earlier in numbers chapter 3 and 4 out of the 38000 Levites who were 30 years and above 24000 were to look after the work of the house of the Lord it tells us spiritually that many people are required a huge portion of the priests that is the modern day believers is required to look after the work of the house of the lord 6000 of the levites were to serve as officers and judges you see even the governmental records the administration and everything were in the hands of the levites another 4000 were to be gatekeepers you see the gatekeepers theme recurring again and again in the bible because the gate is an important feature in the lord's plan god refers to himself as the gate one can enter into a relationship with god only through jesus christ these gatekeepers were assigned to protect the sanctity of the temple and also they were responsible to let people inside we read in matthew chapter 7 verse 13 enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it but small is the gate and narrow the way that leads to life and only a few find it do you see the difference the wide gate many enter through it but the narrow gate only a few even find it if you are hearing this message today and if you are not a christian the gatekeeper is giving you an invitation for you to enter into the narrow gate Why don't you accept it and follow Jesus through the narrow gate onto the life of abundance that he is promising you? And 4000 of the Levites were to praise the Lord with the musical instruments that David had provided for that purpose. David, who was also known as the sweet psalmist of Israel, not only composed and wrote songs for the Lord, but he also was a skilled musician and in fact, he also made his own instruments. This tells us that music is a integral part of worship of the Lord. Then from verse 6 onwards, Ezra starts listing out the clans of Levites. In verses 14 to 20, we see about the sons of Moses of the family of Kohath. It reads, "Now the sons of Moses, the man of God, were reckoned to be the tribe of Levi." 
the sons of Moses were Gershon and Eliezer. Of the sons of Gershon, Moses was referred to as the man of God. So why wasn't his sons referred to as men of God? God extends an offer to everybody to become men and women of God. So who really is a man of God? We read in 2nd Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So such a person is a man of God. And those who committed their lives in their youth and whose hearts were fully committed to him, God took upon such people and used them for his glory. That's why Paul was writing to the young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance and gentleness. If we want to be man and woman of God and accomplish great things for the Lord, here is the right example for us to follow. In verses 24 to 26, we see that the heads of families as they were registered under the names and counted individually, that is the workers 20 years or old or more who served in the temple of the Lord. So David was changing the age from 30 to 20. Why did he do that? Because David said, Since the Lord, the God of Israel, has granted rest to his people and has come to dwell in Jerusalem forever, the Levites no longer need to carry the tabernacle or any of the articles used in its service. And in verse 27 to 32, he gives them new duties for the Levites. But look how in 2 Chronicles chapter 29 verse 25 we read that David did all of this according to the commandment of God, the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. So the Lord had commanded all of this through those two prophets to David. And David was following them very diligently. In verse 30 and 31, we read a very intriguing command that was to be followed. They were also to stand in. every morning to thank and praise the Lord. They were to do the same in the evening. And whenever burnt offerings were presented to the Lord on the Sabbaths, at the new moon feasts and at the appointed festivals. Look how David is commanding that they were to stand. Though standing might seem so trivial, David was teaching them one of the things that he taught his own men. We see an incident about Shammah, one of David's mighty men. In 2 Samuel chapter 23 verses 11 to 12 that he took his stand in the midst of the plot defended it and struck the Philistines and the Lord brought about a great victory so taking a stand has a deep spiritual meaning so what do we learn spiritually from this how can we stand for the Lord Paul says in Ephesians 6 you must be strong in the Lord and put on his full armor so that you may stand firm against the enemy before you stand you need to be strong in the lord so that's the first thing so how to be strong to be strong in the lord we must be in the lord that is we must be in christ paul writes frequently the phrase in christ or in him in ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 4 6 7 9 10 12 and 13 
we cannot understand what it means to be strong in the lord unless we are truly in the lord in christ through the saving faith of jesus christ so to be in christ is to know that it is only because of god it is through faith that we have been saved and secondly to be strong in the lord we must know our own weaknesses jesus said in john chapter 15 verse 5 for apart from me you can do nothing we are but branches on the vine of jesus christ if we are attached to the vine we will bear fruit if we are not attached in christ if we are not in christ we cannot bear fruit so what will make us not be part of christ our weaknesses and our sins will make us fall away from christ peter thought that he can be the best disciple among the 12 but then when jesus was arrested he was denying christ the lord allowed peter to go through his terrible denials so that he might not trust in himself but in christ alone paul also learned this lesson that he needed to know his own weaknesses to be strong in the lord he writes in second corinthians chapter 12 verse 10 therefore i am content with weaknesses with insults with troubles with persecutions and difficulties for the sake of christ for whenever i am weak then i am strong because when we are weak then we start to cling tightly onto jesus and therefore we are strong the third thing is to be strong in the lord we must know the strength of the lord God's strength is revealed from Genesis to Revelation. He is the creator of the whole world by just his mere words. He parted the Red Sea. He did mighty wonders by providing manna and water from the rock. Throughout the scripture, the Lord reminds us that nothing is too difficult for him. So to be strong in the Lord, we must be in the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ and we must know our own weaknesses. And the third thing is we must know his mighty strength. The second thing that we need to do to be standing is we must put on God's full armor. Putting on the armor is nothing but putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. as we read in Romans chapter 13 verse 14 that is Christ himself is our armor he is the belt of truth as we read in John chapter 14 verse 6 he is our breastplate of righteousness as we read in 2 Corinthians 5:21 he is the gospel of peace that we stand on as we read in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 to 14 he is the shield of our faith as we read in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 He is the helmet of our salvation as we read in Titus 3:6. He is our sword, the word of God as we read in John chapter 1 verse 1. So Jesus is our full armor capable of protecting us from every onslaught of the devil. We need to stand firm against the enemy by growing in biblical understanding. There are three things here. First we need to understand God's full provision. Many have come to Christ under a false sales pitch. They were told Jesus will solve your problems. He will give you peace and joy. He will give you a happy family life. Come to Jesus and enjoy all of these blessings and more. He promises you a good life. And so they signed up for what they thought would be a wonderful life, full of peace and happiness going forward. While all of those claims are true, they are only half the picture. Jesus promised to give us abundant life 
as we read in John chapter 10 verse 10 but he also said that he was sending us out as sheep in the midst of wolves as we read in Matthew's chapter 10 verse 16 this picture might not fit with the worldly idea of an abundant life jesus promised peace but in the same breath he said that in this world we would have tribulation as we read in john 16 verse 33 He assured us of his love but he went on to say that the world would hate and persecute us as we read in John chapter 15 verses 12 and 13 so it is very important to have this biblical understanding of who we really are as a christian we need to realize that we were drafted into god's army daily we are engaged in a battle with an unseen spiritual enemy that seeks to destroy us So if we do not think that as soon as when trials hit us we will think that something is wrong we will wonder why god has allowed this into my life we won't understand the reality of our situation even many pastors think that because they are serving the lord he should bless them continually and keep them from all conflicts and personal attacks so when they are criticized or when their problems hit their families or the churches or the children they run from the battle They don't understand the fact that when God blesses a work the enemy will increase the attacks against it. When your walk with Christ is very effective, the enemy will attack you. It's not the lukewarm Christian who is attacked by the devil, but the one who is fiery for the Lord. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9, "For a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries." So adversaries go hand in hand with effective ministry or being a effective Christian. Secondly, we need to understand Satan's schemes. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11, "Let's not be exploited by Satan because we are not ignorant of his schemes. If we are ignorant of his schemes, Satan will be able to take advantage of us. His schemes use cunning and deception. He uses half truths." He masquerades lie as a truth right from the garden of eden that's what he has been doing satan attacks the credibility of scripture and by attacking the person of jesus christ he lures us into sin by portraying it as a pleasurable activity and by hiding the real consequences of sin from us he uses discouragement pride selfishness lust the love of money and many other traps to pull us away from the lord So to stand firm we need to understand satan's schemes. The third thing is we need to understand where to stand firm and where to be tolerant. Standing firm means that we stand firm on the core doctrines of the faith. We cannot budge on the trinity, the person and the work of Christ, the salvation or the inspiration and authority of scripture. But also we need to be tolerant for one another in love. as we read in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 with all humility and gentleness with patience putting up with one another in love so to stand firm we need to be strong in the lord and put on his full armor may god bless these words amen